This is Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Hello Hop Features and welcome to another sesh on the Hop 4 podcast. Remember the days when you'd watch the Treasury budget here in the UK and hear that beer tax had gone up by four pence a pint. It seemed like nothing at the time, an irrelevance to most, but for brewers across the nation, any tax hike in relation to beer no doubt caused pangs of anxiety and concern over the bank balance and cash flow. Beer has been taxed for hundreds of years. A form of ale tax even existed at the time of Magna Carta and in 1643 excise duty on beer was introduced temporarily to help bolster funds for the English Civil War. Harking to more recent times of civil unrest, mainly in the 1980s, Her Majesty's Customs and Excise collected some £200 million, which equated to around 1.5% of all government revenue generated from taxation here in the UK. Beer, which is taxed more heavily than wine, cider or spirits, finally received its long-awaited and hard-fought-for break when progressive beer duty, or small brewer's relief as it's commonly known, was introduced under the new Labour government with Gordon Brown as Chancellor of the Exchequer. Small Breweries Relief, or SBR for short, allowed small, independent brewing businesses to compete with global breweries who then, and it could easily be argued still, largely dominate the marketplace. James Watt, co-founder of craft beer monolith BrewDog, even went on record recently saying small breweries relief was essential to BrewDog in our early years of growth. Now, more than ever, small breweries should have the support they need to grow their businesses. And that is coming from arguably the largest craft beer in the United Kingdom and a global brand that has established itself thanks to the help of the tax reduction scheme. There's categorically no denying that it has enabled scores of interested beer hobbyists to take their passion for homebrewing out of their kitchens and turn professional, setting up microbreweries of their own in railway arches, old warehouses and industrial estates alike. The current scheme allows for a 50% reduction in the duty rate up to an annual output of 5,000 hectolitres, which equates to a million pints per year after which a sliding scale offers relief up to 60,000 hectolitres per annum before the full duty rate occurs. That's a whole lot of beer. The United Kingdom is amongst the highest taxpayer on beer duty in the world, up there with Finland and Ireland who pay the highest taxation rates in Europe. With the growth of the craft beer industry in the United Kingdom, it's no surprise that many breweries have edged their way slowly up to this cliff edge before hitting the pause button to decide on how to push through this financial barrier in a way that would both support growth and sustain their business. However, it isn't all double IPAs and roses. SBR has been a hotly contested issue over the past decade. Not everyone has been in favour of the scheme. 
The Small Brewers Due to Reform Coalition, or SBDRC, largely comprised of a group of around 50 regional and family brewers, have sought to undermine the scheme, calling it unfair to all small brewers, to drinkers and to the taxpayer, stating that the current scheme fails to reward investment and efficiency, so traps many small brewers at certain stages of growth, and that it's strangling growth and damaging the industry. In 2018, Theresa May's Conservative government opened up a review and consultation period for brewers across the board who were invited to fill in a government questionnaire outlining their position and thoughts on the current scheme. During this period, a combination of SBDRC members, CBER and its representatives were also invited to meetings with the Commons to discuss the scheme and its possible reform. Fast forward to March 2020 and a rather fast-paced bearded James Calder, Chief Executive for the Society of Independent Brewers Association, could be seen rushing around Seba BRX at the Liverpool Exhibition Centre with a phone glued to his ear trying to keep track of the government's announcement on whether beer duty was set to rise or not. Along with keeping the thousands of visitors safe from a looming global pandemic that, as the history books now show us, was amongst us already, or in the words of Steven Spielberg's 1982 classic horror film Poltergeist, James was able to deliver the glad tidings that beer duty had, for the time being at least, been frozen at the current rate. Brewers may have dodged a bullet that day, but COVID-19 was about to hit them in the gut with a draconian lockdown, closing public houses and rendering large pack largely useless. Although many brewery businesses muddled through by selling cans, bottles and mini cakes direct to consumers through this period, with some even reporting doing quote-unquote better than ever on account of the margins retained through direct sales, it was the announcement from the Treasury in July 2020 that really brought this issue into the limelight. The government has concluded its review of this relief. In order to support growth, boost productivity and remove cliff edges, the scheme's taper will be smoothed. It will take effect more gradually over a wider range of production, starting at 2100 hectolitres per year and be converted to a cash basis. A technical consultation will be brought forward in the autumn. The government will also consult on the potential for a grace period for small breweries that decide to merge. This announcement caused a stir and ripple effect throughout the industry as views from both vantage points came to the fray and arguments ensued. Small independent businesses were up in arms reporting potential losses of £30,000 per year on account of even the most meagre tapering, enough to support or lay off an additional employee. While members of the SBDRC, including Harvey's, Oka Males, Black Sheep and Timothy Taylor's, put out various statements either fully supporting the announcement or backpedalling their position based on the online backlash and calls to boycott pints and breweries. The debate still goes on today, with CBER leading the charge to lobby government to rethink its proposal for the reform. One brewery who took decisive action and launched a parliamentary petition to reverse the change to small brewers relief was Jack Hobday, co-founder of London-based Anspach and Hobday. As a brewery falling within the 2100 to 5000 hectolitre mark, like many others, Anspach and Hobday, a brewery who crack out some fantastic beers, won't escape the repercussions from such a reform. 
In this episode, the first in a two-part series looking at the main positions, Jack talks about how the reforms will affect breweries such as Ansbach and Hob Day, breaking down the various aspects of the proposal and arguments against the reforms. Next week, you'll hear from Timothy Taylor's Chief Executive, Tim Dewey, discussing the reforms in a conversation I had with him several months back from the viewpoint of a larger, predominantly cask-producing brewery. The idea behind these episodes wasn't to take a position either way, though I do have one personally, but to present both sides of the argument to facilitate measured discussion. If you're interested in further reading, CBA have put together various documentation, presentations and videos which can be found at ciba.co.uk forward slash SBR. Nouveau have ample information on their blog. Johnny Garrett wrote an excellent piece for Good Beer Hunting and there's plenty of information to be found on websites such as the Brewers Journal, the Morning Advertiser and various government websites. If you're for reversing the changes to SBR, then make sure you sign the petition, which can be found at petition.parliament.uk forward slash petitions forward slash 334066. I know that's the most snappy, memorable URL you'll ever come across. Therefore, the link will be in the show notes and make your voice heard in Whitehall. At the time of recording, the petition was up to 48,000 signatures and needs up to 100,000 for it to be discussed in the House of Commons, so there's plenty of work to be done yet to protect the smallest, most vulnerable independent brewers from these changes. So, after recording this interview with Jack uh, he very kindly sent me some Anspatch and Hobday beers through the post so I uh, got a porter lager a west coast IPA and an ordinary bitter and you know I, I feel a little bit like the brewing scene's gone full circle in that we, we all started on best bitters and pale ales and we're all kind of ending back up there um, so I'm going to crack open the best bitter so uh, interestingly enough, uh, it's hopped with Chinook this and um, uses USO5 for its yeast. So um, I'm, I'm curious as to what this is going to be like. So um, just massive thanks to Jack and and Spatch and Hob Day for sending this. So look at the colour of that. So that's going into a, uh, a proper tankard. Yeah, circa 1970s. There you go. It's a beautiful tan colour with a thick head. You, you know what best bit it looks like, but let's, let's try it. So, wow, I wasn't expecting that. Do you know, the, the Chinook on that just gives it this, this lift that you don't get with other best bitters, but it's not overpowering. It's not like, you know, being hit in the face with citra kind of, it almost errs towards slightly flavor wise i think anyway kind of an american amber ale only ever so slightly it's very it is definitely a best bitter it's lovely though very nice so huge thanks for that jack i shall certainly uh, be looking forward to the the other ones um i, I can't believe this is the first anti-passion hop day beer i've had for about five years i, I feel 
shamed publicly shamed on my own podcast so there you go so if you uh, if you want to grab some of these for yourself which i suggest you do head over to ansbatchandhopday.com and there's a good range of beers on there and at the time of recording this um earlier this week if you're listening up to date uh, there's the pale ale sales so orders over 40 pound come with free shipping and they're having a sale on their pale ales so make sure uh, you grab some Anspatch and hop day beers each and every week we're partnering with brew school to bring you the latest brewing jobs and careers in the uk brewing and beverage industry and this week's featured job is with brew by numbers brew by numbers are on the lookout for another dedicated self-starter to join their top production team you will be passionate about all things beer show improvement through self-study and demonstrate an excellent knowledge of the uk craft beer scene this current position will also require regular weekend work if you head over to brewing-jobs.com you can find an outline of the role the experience required in addition to some of the perks you will enjoy as part of the brew by numbers team to apply please send a cv and a short cover letter to matt at bbno.co that's matt at bbno.co brewing jobs is the first dedicated jobs board for brewing jobs and brewing careers so get ready for a career in brewing in partnership with brew school only at brewing-jobs.com Finally, to find out more about Hop Forward and our partners, make sure you follow us on social media at Hop Forward Beers. Visit our website, hopforward.beer, for more insights and a range of branding, marketing and business development services to help you and your beer business get ahead. Head over to Facebook and join our growing Facebook community by searching for Hop Forward in the Facebook groups. And finally, if you like this podcast, leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, and all other major streaming platforms. So first up in this two-part series on SBR is Jack Hobday from Anspatch and Hobday talking about the reforms and how it will affect the smallest independent brewers in the United Kingdom. Today, I'm joined by Jack Hobday, co-founder of Ansmatch and Hobday. Hello. Hi, Nick. Thank you for having me. So, how are you, how are you doing? Not too bad, given the uh, circumstances. Yes, t- tell me about it. <laughs> the time of recording this, as I was saying to you before, we're, Sheffield's about to go to Tier 3. So, uh, uh, being in London, you're Tier 2. How, how have we found that so far? I think uh, it feels a bit like, certainly from the retail side of things, everything's somewhat zombified um so you're not quite open not quite closed and i think in many ways uh whilst tier three is not necessarily great if we look back to lockdown at least there was a bit more certainty about where you were at and what you were doing and obviously we've got no idea how long we'll be in tier two but my money's probably on a tier three coming um and that's uh that's something we're prepping for yeah so i mean how was it when you were in lockdown um i mean how did you find that what was that experience like when when you first went into it and um for a reasonably large brewery like yours um it was beginning of march was terrifying as we saw this coming and um and then obviously uh we were lucky we just launched our cans and our canning line had been commissioned right at the end of march in fact 
the weekend that lockdown started, we were planning to launch um, the cans in store, and that obviously very quickly moved into an online-based um, operation. And I think it's an area where I'm very, I think we're very pleased about the, the crowd we have behind us, including the shareholders from our crowdfunding round a couple of years ago. I think everyone sort of rallied behind us and we saw online sales go from basically zero to uh, they were nearly matching retail levels. It was really um, uh, quite something. And obviously we furloughed a lot of the, um, all of the retail staff because we've got um, uh, a couple of tap rooms and a bar in Camberwell and, um, and suddenly things weren't quite as bad as, I mean, it was, it wasn't great, but we were down to everyone was working a four day week and 80% pay. So I think we're just really pleased we got through it with um, everyone keeping their jobs. And um, we're still we're still fighting right now, which is, as I say, back at the beginning of March, it, it looked pretty grim. Yeah. Well, those cans look great. Uh, I must I must confess. Um, I, f- I first came across Anne's Bastion Hop Day. I think it was like 2015. I was in London with um, with a, a job that i used to work with and um a friend of mine introduced me to this guy this american guy he's like oh nick you make beer you should uh, you should hang out with this guy i can't even remember his name and he took us all to camden town brewery this is before the ab inbev um buyout and um he bought us all drinks i mean there were like 14 of us and he bought us all drinks and all the rest of it and right at the end he was like you got some room in your bag for some beer i'm like mate i'm gonna make room in my bag for beer and he's getting out all these uh, bottles and cans and stuff he's like oh you had this you had this and the last one was a 750 mil bottle i don't know if it was a stout reporter from anspach and hob day like wax topped and everything it's like oh and there's this one this is you know this is amazing i was like oh thank you so much i was like i ain't got anything to give you in return but um and I, I remember drinking it and just being blown away so um yeah good good beer man Thank you. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I didn't bring any cans to the table today, but they've they've done us really uh, proud. And I think, in a way, it couldn't. You know, it's a bit of a captive audience for people not being able to go to the pub. Cans were the the best way you could have your beer. And I really felt for a lot of um, a lot of breweries who perhaps were relying on um, uh, the contract canners, who obviously suddenly had their their books full and couldn't couldn't fit everyone in. Um, especially, you know, if you're a brewery who was trying to switch from draft and we had a few close calls of whether we were putting everything into keg or, or cask or putting it into cans and there were suddenly a few extra specials around because we, we had to make some switches. So, mm. um, uh, you know, I'm really, really proud of how the team adapted and how we got through that. And as I say, you know, it's starting to get a bit tiring now and, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, it's been difficult for everyone. And I think this return of, this new system of tier one, tier two, tier three, I guess it's hard not to win, really. Yeah, absolutely. So today I want to chat about something else that's going to make a lot of brewers winch is the proposed reforms to SBR and how it'll affect breweries like Anspach and Hob Day. Um, but before we do, I wondered, um, just to paint the picture, if you could share with us some stats on like your an- annual hectoliterage, just an, an average sort of duty payment for a brewery of your size and how much extra you'd have to pay depending on where you'd fall on a tapering. If it was somewhere between, we'll say just for argument's sake, 42 and 49%, what, what's the kind of real world impact it'd have on your business? Okay, right. Uh, so going off the top of my head, last year we were about 1,600 hectoliters, which is not that big. And this year... Um, we're on course for around 2,500 hectolitres, which is quite key 
because um, the SBR change that's proposed would come in at 2,100. Um, so the duty is climbing per month, but uh, I think I think that I worked out that if we if we were paying paying closer to 60% of the duty rather than the 50% that we currently do, it would add around 30,000 pounds extra to our annual duty bill, which is you know, easily covering someone's salary. Yeah. Um, now, you know, there, I've had some conversations where people have told me it's less than that and others where perhaps it's more than that. And I think part of the biggest problem with the announcement is a lack of clarity, which means that um, it's, it's conjecture really. Um, so we don't, we don't really know. And obviously that has huge implications down the line. You know, we're looking at, at possibly raising some funds at the moment um, partly COVID contingency, but also for some other projects. And it, it makes sense to even look at the efficiency question and see whether we can try and uh, counter what might be coming. But if you can't tell your shareholders, well, we're going to be paying X and, you know, if we invest in this equipment, we might make this uh, jump in efficiency. It doesn't mean anything if they don't know where you're starting and where you're finishing or where you're finishing at least. Yeah. I mean, why, why do you think the government's doing this now? I mean, as, as we were saying before we hit record about all the uncertainty that's around as it is. I mean, hospitality's taken a total kick in because of COVID-19. And it was even reported, I think it was yesterday or the day before, um, at the time of recording this, that the future of uh, breweries such as Castle Rock, which has been around for 40 years, you know, possibly faced extinction without an intervention from the government. So what, what, why do you think, like, I mean, it's impeccable timing, isn't it? <laughs> Yes, it, it feels like sheer bloody-mindedness. I think I think that what you've got is a relatively new government. Obviously, we've had the Tories for a long time, but um, a relatively new government in of itself, who in inheriting things that have been put in motion in the previous years. This is, debate's been going on for a long time. And I, I think the ministers who have been in charge of this, the, 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 the Kemi, the one who's looking after it now, really did start that role with Boris Johnson. So uh, she's effectively inherited it. And I think probably not realized how politically toxic it was going to be um, because, well, yeah, I mean, how could you, how could you carry on blindly with a pandemic that's completely crushing the industry you're trying to review? And the headline news that you bring out is that the smallest guys are going to pay more. And that's your only, that's your only bit of news. I mean, it's it's kind of suicidal from a, um, a public relations perspective, and um, one does wonder. Yeah, some of the larger breweries, such as like Timothy Taylor's and Hogsback, etc., are arguing for um, using a cash value rather than a percentage basis for SBR. I mean, just in layman's terms, can can you explain what that means? So. I listened to a very interesting talk from Eddie Gadd of Ramsgate Brewery, um, which was hosted by Siva about a month ago. And in it, the um, sort of cash fixing of this SBR change was, was talked about. It's an area I don't think was picked up on big time in the initial announcement. The initial announcement focused on the fact that, uh, or, or brewers focused on the initial um, increase to, to those who were producing more than 2,100 hexaliters. Um, anyway, so the, the fixing of, of the relief in cash basically means, as far as Siba and Eddie were concerned, and I understand, that's my caveat, um, that it, it means that it will be stuck in time so that 
inflation will gradually erode it. That's basically the big downside of it. And that will affect those who are getting the most relief because currently they have the highest proportion. But instead of it being stuck at 50% of um, the amount of duty that's being paid, it will just be fixed at a cash value. And if the duty and other things go up, it will then become a lever that the chancellor at the time can either adjust or not. And if they choose not to adjust it, it will stay the same amount of relief the following year, even if, as because of inflation, duty's gone up and um, other things have gone up. And so it will really erode the relief, say, over 10, 20, 30 years that the smallest breweries are getting. And this will affect people below the 2,100 hectolitre curve. So that uh, is something which SIBA have sort of cottoned on to and is becoming more of a focus on, on the argument for why these uh, changes as announced are terrible for the small breweries because um, I guess ultimately if it was fixed and it stayed that way, eventually uh, inflation would erode that to nothing and the wave of new brewers that we've come to enjoy and, and really appreciate in this country would, would be diminished. Every year would get harder. Yeah. Do you think there's any advantages to the proposed scheme and reforms? There could be, but because of the way that it's been announced, I don't think there's anything to go on. Um, and, you know, that's just very frustrating because, um, you know, they could have... With the, One of the things that I find particularly difficult about this is that everyone talks about the duty curve and the various curves that we could have almost as if duty is a divine measure that comes from God straight to the chancellor and we should never, <laughs> we should never challenge it. But, you know, there's countries in Europe that are paying a tiny fraction of the amount of duty on beer. And it's not like they're different people. They're, you know, it's just the way that they've decided to set things up. And, and we sort of, a lot of the arguments that have gone on between brewers of different sizes are about how this relief curve can sort of, in a miserly way, be moved to advance the advantage of some brewers and the cost of others when really if we tried to just be slightly open-minded about it we should be basically pushing the the um, chancellor not to try and stifle competition at the low end and the growth that that's brought but but then look at how you solve problems where there is uh, a change in duty that's inhibiting growth and i think there has been some evidence for that and basically the answer is probably the yeah the, the chancellor needs to go away and have a think about uh, the trade-off of, of, of growth expansion of the industry versus the duty and look at the two different things in balance and you know maybe that would cost the the, the government something but the, the amount that they've been spending recently in different directions actually we're not talking about a lot of money in reality it's um it's a bit real shame so uh yeah that's my my sort of point on it i think on a large scale there's definitely room to tweak what was quite a big change that happened in 2002 uh i would just argue we, we should be able to do it more united than we have been and it should be less about penalizing breweries and more about helping those that are struggling coming up next week on the hop four podcast in my submission to the treasury i said to them look if there's only one thing you do please convert from percentage to cash we talked to tim dewey chief executive of timothy taylor's about their stance on sbr because what that means is that over time if they move back into a world where they're 
escalating duty because they might need money and look look at the kind of financial situation at the moment we won't run into a situation where the small brewers relief keeps escalating because small brewers relief should should be related to this economy of scale point not the fact that the government's trying to raise money by you know raising excise above inflation make sure you subscribe to the hop forward podcast to get this episode as soon as it drops now back to the show So the the SBDRC, which is the Small Breweries Duty Reform Coalition, which naturally rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Um, they, they they claim on their website that the, the coalition proposals, um, which by the sounds of it, looking at it, the government have largely listened to, um, are deliverable and will benefit nearly all breweries in the UK. They will create a more sustainable cast beer market. Now, further to that, in a conversation I had with one of the breweries from SBDRC, which will come out in the next episode. Um, they said, and I'm paraphrasing this a little bit just to kind of make it more succinct, that basically subsidising the beer market through duty is one of the main causes of the devaluation of the beer category. Now, do you think this only applies to cask beer? And, and generally, how would you respond to that? I'd, I'd look at what the I'd look at what the highest paid um, prices are in cask beer and ask where which breweries those are coming from and whether they're um, medium-sized brewers or perhaps some of the smaller ones and I'd probably then argue that actually I mean it's it it's a cultural and market difference and so you 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 would, I'd expect to find that some of the most expensive casks will be coming from the smaller guys it's not because it's been the price has been eroded by um, duty relief it's just that the uh, the country's never really gotten over the fact that um, cask beer has a smaller shelf life and cake beer cake beer doesn't but for, for that reason we we subsidize our cask beer so that it it is used quicker and that means it's drunk faster and that means having a cheaper price so that people turn to that first i think the biggest uh challenge to that is about educating pubs and drinkers and less about actually the the price of the the cask but with the way that small brewers make beers that often push boundaries, I think cask is a much more unsettled market. Um, how that relates to your standard price of bitter, I'm not entirely entirely sure if I'm honest, but I, I do think that actually there's, a, there's basically an argument that the smaller brewers are, are helping to disrupt that market and maybe change some of those perceptions more than just, uh, you know, a pint of cast should be at you know three pounds or under, and that's another divine measure. Yeah, I thought the cast beer thing was interesting when I had this conversation in particular because so I can I can see a point in it. Um, you know that I think cast beer is you know it's part of our heritage and tradition in the UK. Um, it, it's something that we we shouldn't take for granted, particularly in light of pubs being closed and and you not being able to get cast beer. You know, I, I remember the first cast beer I had when the pubs reopened it just it just seemed like this nectar from the gods you know um so i definitely agree about as as he points out which you'll hear next week um that you know we should be doing more like i said to educate and to market these cast beers better but on the other side a lot of the breweries that are going to be affected the ones that are growing 
aren't solely mainly producing cast beer and the kinds of beers they're producing are of a higher abv than like four percent you know you, you're talking like well anything up to 14 percent you know and you get um some breweries i mean i know there's one in manchester that makes um it pretty much exclusively imperial stouts or imperial milkshake ipas you know and the, the, the lowest abv beers seems to be around nine percent you know they're gonna hit be hit massively i mean i don't think they're much bigger than you guys are so i, I don't think that um the argument from the SBDRC wholly stacks up because mo- most of the breweries on that list are producing cask beers of a moderate ABV. Yeah, I think, well, uh, the cash basis side, I think, needs a lot of clarification from the government because one of the questions I asked in the talk that we had with, with Eddie, which is available on Seaver, I think you can go onto it on uh, YouTube. Maybe I can find the link and share that with you. Um, and it's worth listening to. The the point I raised was I wasn't sure if the cash basis would mean that it was a fixed amount per litre of beer or per pint. And that would obviously really affect people who were specialising in higher ABV. But to our knowledge, collectively, that wasn't the case. This is more just about a final amount instead of it being um, a, a full percentage of, of the overall duty rate. That you're getting relief on it, it would be a, a fixed amount based on your level of production, and that that would ultimately be still pro rata uh, on the ABV. But I don't think it would be limited or stopping people from producing higher strength. Yeah. But I have to say I'm not I'm not 100 confident. I've got my head around it, and I, again, you know, it just points back to why the government would make such a sweeping announcements, but in such little, little detail. Um, is a mystery. Well, personally speaking, I think this current government are a bit of a mystery. <laughs> so um, we'll, we'll leave that to one side maybe for the time being. Um, but I mean, wh- why do you think mid-sized breweries are going after their smaller counterparts rather than trying to take on the globals by supporting a full competitions and marketing authority inquiry into the wholesale beer market? Because sure- surely it's the fact that you get these global breweries you know i mean i i saw um just the other day about um carlsberg and marsden's you know um kind of getting the green light um you know on on that whole merger and everything and it's you know the see maybe like no this is fine like it's it just seems a bit odd to me that it's do you think that the smaller breweries are an easier target to kind of squeeze or yeah a bit i mean i think i think that the I, yeah, I struggle with it a bit. I mean, I think if you follow the history, and I'm not necessarily an expert, but my understanding is that cast beer, obviously at one point, was the heritage of, of the UK, and that's all you would be drinking. And then there was the developments in refrigeration, and you start to see the prevalence of, of lagers go up, and keg beer go up. And this is happening through the 50s, 60s, 70s, and you end up with a homogenized mass produce market with dominated by lagers and you have a few ales that have gone over to keg but don't really make it work and then well guinness being big exception um and then uh and then you see the campaign for real ale come come around and that that really in my mind is why we've got lots of good cask that's been preserved which is the great work of of camera which has, has led to become more of a, a focus on pubs but my understanding is it starts off as basically let's preserve cask beer 
Um, so why, you know, if you look at that battle, that battle has been entirely between keg beer that's been mass produced and your smaller cask beer, which has been saved by what is now the largest consumer group in, in Europe, uh, Camera. So then 2002 happens. This is long after things have started to change and the cask market's really developed. And I think the smaller guys have come in and have challenged the cask market and the keg market, but perhaps they've impacted more on the cask market because the drinkers of that were already the people who uh, enjoyed sort of quality and, and variety instead of mass-produced lager. So I suspect that because of the huge increase in diversity and move towards local that small breweries bring in, it's just affected them more than the bigger guys. Um, but there's no real reason why we can't all be working along the lines of, of, of BrewDog and trying to um, to sort of push push the, the envelope forward and bring more and more people who, let's face it, we've all heard the story millions of times, they try good beer and realize <laughs> they've been drinking shit for a very long time. Um, and, and I think that that's everyone's responsibility. But that's my take on what's, what's really happened and why they're, they're perhaps encroaching on, on the, the smaller brewer side. I think it's a miss. I think it's a bit of a mistake, but it's also, it's also bound to be the case if you have, if you go from a couple of hundred breweries to, you know, over a thousand in a decade or so, two decades, I suppose, um, you're going to see a big change and a big increase in competition. And that's never going to be welcome if you want an easy life. Um, but I suppose people have to change and adapt. Uh, I don't know. I think it's not the fault of the smaller breweries that they ha are, are in a position where they are challenging and, and perhaps taking custom, um, it's ultimately been great for the consumer. It's been really good for the, for the beer industry in the UK. You know, we've, I, I, when I grew up, you couldn't really buy, unless it was Carling, which wasn't really British. In fact, I think it's Canadian. You could buy a British beer on keg and now you can get loads. It's great. Mm. Um, so I don't think I've got any answers for anyone necessarily, but that's my take. Yep. Fair enough. So if the book stops with you and you're acting independently of any organisation or political party or group or even business and you had to come up with a reform that benefited smaller businesses, businesses looking to grow and larger businesses, what, what would it be? That's a great question. Um, I, would, I would take the current curve. People, I, I hadn't understood until very recently that the current curve is just simply that up to 5,000 hectolitres, you pay half the duty rate. Then after that, on whatever you then produce, you pay the full duty rate. And the amount you pay in overall is just the curve that that change creates. So that when you take a proportion where you're producing, say, 5,000 hectolitres at half duty rate, and then you go to six, so you have another thousand at the full, the amount that that adds up to being is wherever you are on that curve. And it goes up very steeply because the impact of paying 100% on anything over 5,000 suddenly has a big impact. So you, this is what they call the cliff edge. Yep. The, I think that this has been repeatedly pointed to as being, there's not any big economies of scale necessarily going on from 5,000 to, to um, 7,000. And yet you're seeing quite a big change in, in the duty you're paying um, averaged out across what everything you produce. So 
if that's the problem, and and as I say, I think looking at it with a more open um, mindset about how growth and jobs and investment might be a good thing, I'd be looking to see if we could flatten that curve in a more sinusoidal wave. So it would start off more gradually, and then perhaps you've got a, a tied into a point where you identify serious economies of scale, which most people seem to say is around the 20,000 hectolitre mark. So going between 15 and 20, there are economies at earlier points, and so you would still have this this growth, but you would get more of a level increase, and then you would start to taper out when you get to the current sort of uh, 30, 40, 50,000. And, and I would put that as a way of basically amending what is quite a crude curve currently. I'd also kick it down the, the road for at least 10 years so that people have got plenty of time to plan and adjust to it. So breweries like ours have, have probably already assimilated and got an idea of what they want to do. Most would try to grow to the 5,000 mark and maybe think carefully about how they then grow beyond it, knowing that they've got an increase in cost. By having the certainty of that knowledge, you can do things which might um, help you to bridge it. For example, raising investment. So you can go, right, we're going to quadruple our capacity in a new site. We're going to do it with a couple of million behind us if we can. And now we can then push on to 15 or 10 or 20 or 30,000 hectolitres. So by being able to plan for that, it would make a big difference to the businesses. By giving us currently, uh, like, well, less than a year, year's notice that we're going to have a duty change, I can't really manoeuvre anything about our current business to, to make that better. I'm just going to pay more or less, apparently more, um, for the amount that we're going to produce. And it's tough, basically. Yeah. So, so that's my two points on it. The full detail on how you sort of really get that curve to work for the breweries, I think equally that could be done very academically and it could be done in a way where it wasn't about uh you started off from a level where you don't penalize any brewery you just say right how can we make this better for growth for the positive outcomes that growth brings and if you were really good at your economics you would actually then manipulate that curve to follow where the areas of growth can potentially outweigh the cost of the exchequer in in duty I'm not that person, but I'm sure it could be done and certainly done better than the current curve does it. So I, I, I can see there's a, a solutions, um, but again, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, lastly, what, what would you like to say to people in the industry listening to this podcast, especially those that might be for these reforms and lobbying for them? Uh, I guess... Um, I guess just that really, I, I accept that this conversation has been going on for, for a long time and that there are grounds for, for, for change, but there's no real reason why brewers shouldn't be united and pushing for, just for change, which, which makes things better for, for brewers and not, not worse for any brewers. There's no real reason for that to, to happen. There's nothing... I, I don't think there's anything fundamentally wrong with the smallest brewers having um, relief. I'm really proud of the industry that we've sort of grown up in and, and what it's become. Um, I think we sort of owe it to our consumers to try and find that unity. And as I say, if, if, it, can help, um, if it can help Timothy Taylor and, and it doesn't make our life worse, then, then great. Why not? 
Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Well, thanks for being on the show um, to talk about this. I mean, how, how can people find out more about Hans Passion Hop Day and buy your wonderful beers? <laughs> well, as I've plugged a few times, there's a website, which um, uh, I, can't, I think currently we've got a, a sale on our, our pale ale, which oh, uh, is, 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 is doing very well. Um, so that's just, yeah, just Google Anspatch and you'll come up. And if you, if you feel, uh, feel like putting it, you can put Hob Day as well, but it will still come up as just Anspatch. <laughs> um, and, um, and of course, you know, whilst we're still open, anyone who's, who's local to our new site in Croydon, we've got our tap room on, on Saturdays and we've got Bermsey, um, we're calling it the Arch House. That's, that's reopened. We're about to restart brewing. Um, of course, the brews are probably ready by the time we get into tier three, but you can come and visit still in Bermondsey. And we've got our little bar in, in Camberwell called The Pigeon, which is um, is actually doing really well because it's in a residential area. And, um, it you know, short of tier three, it, it, it will carry on being open. Yeah. Well, all the, all the best to you guys. And I, I hope you manage to weather this storm. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate it. Thanks for being on the show. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to the Hot Four podcast this week. Don't forget, we're here to help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. So hit the subscribe button for more insights into the beer industry. Connect with us at hotforward.beer or through our social media channels at hotforwardbeers. Until next time, cheers. Hey, so